Hello, Velo News listeners. This is Dan Cavallari, tech editor at Velo News, coming at you with another Velo News tech podcast. Hey, let's talk wheels today, guys. Uh, so, you know, I was just talking to our European correspondent, Andrew Hood, uh, in our last podcast, and he brought up a great point, which was that, you know, in the years leading up to his first tour that he covered in, in uh, see, 1996, I believe he said, a lot of the mechanics time was taken up uh, getting wheels together and building them before a big race. And it would take literally weeks to build up all those wheels and they would pick the spokes and they would pick the, the nipples and the rim. And they'd lace them all together and get the tires ready. Um, now, today, we're seeing more and more wheels come to, pre-built as a system. And I think it was it was important to me to understand why that is. It can't just be because it was easy for brands to build the wheels in house. It's that actually probably adds uh, some some cost and some complexity. So there's got to be a reason why wheels come as systems now. So to explore that uh, that concept, I am talking today with Jeff Schneider, who is the head of product and marketing uh, for Giant Gear. Jeff, how's it going? Good. How you doing? I'm great. Thank you for uh, the coming on the show today, Jeff. Uh, the last time I believe we crossed paths in person was in Belgium uh, before the start of last year's Tour de France, <laughs> and uh, yeah. and that was the official launch of Kadex Wheel Systems. Um, so I wanted to get in touch with you because for a few reasons. I mean, Kadex is sort of uh, the new guy in the block, and it's got a lot to offer that's that's setting itself apart from other brands. Um, but it also you you really focus on the wheel as a system, and I think that's important to dive in. What what parts of the wheel make a system, and what what is the function of each one of these parts, and what is what is that? How does that benefit the rider? So let's start kind of broad here. Um, tell me a little bit about what exactly Kadex considers a wheel system? So Kadex as a wheel system is, is really, you, when you look at the wheel, it's, it's how the hub, the spokes, and the rim interact with one another. It's, you know, the ultimate goal is when the rider puts a load into the pedal, you want that as much of that power to transfer to the wheel and drive the rider forward. Um, a lot of talk about aerodynamics. Aerodynamics is good, but we've done a great job of copying each other or everybody now has access to wind tunnels and aerodynamics. And that's just kind of one factor. So it's now looking at transmission stiffness, lateral stiffness, rotational weight. And we're even taking it down to the point where we're measuring the amount of friction that it takes to, to rotate the hub as well as when you're, when you're pedaling as well as when you're coasting. And then also how the tire interacts with the complete system, because ultimately any type of resistance in the system, if you're not pedaling or if you're descending or if you're coasting, is going to start slowing you down. So the ultimate goal is to get the rider moving forward and then keep them rolling while they're riding the bike. Mm -hmm. And so in terms of actually outlining the specific components of a wheel system, we've got, let's, I mean, let's start from the middle and go outward. So we've got the hub, which includes several components, including bearings and the free hub body and all the internals of that free hub. Uh, then you've got the spokes uh, radiating, radiating outward, and there's tons of science in there that we're going to talk a little bit about today. Uh, then the spoke nipple, uh, which I think is an often overlooked uh, piece of the system. Uh, obviously, you've got your rim. And then within your rim, you've got your, if, if uh, I, you'll have to tell me if KDEX actually does this, but rim strips or if there's a, you know, some sort of structure to keep air enclosed. Um, and there's also, you know, we can talk endlessly about um, hookless versus hooks. Uh, and then, of course, you know, one of the overlooked uh, parts of a wheel system is the tire. 
Um, so we can talk a little bit about each of those uh, individual components. And I think um, perhaps we should start, like I said, uh, from the center out. So let's talk a little bit about what you guys have been doing that's unique about hubs and specifically free hubs. So, so when we started this project, that the free hub was one of the, the core components that we wanted to really improve upon. So we started looking at uh, the drag on the bearings, the type of bearing we're using, the type of grease we're actually using in that bearing. But then really the main component is we want to have we wanted to have a significantly stronger free hub body and free hub driving mechanism. So we do use a ratchet driver system. Um, most people are familiar with the ratchet driver system is pretty commonly used. A couple of things that we did there is, is really looked at the materials and the coatings that we put on those plates. So a ratchet driver is two plates that have to rub together and they have teeth. Um, commonly they can wear out or they have quite a bit of drag as they spin on each other. There's two springs in, in most systems that push those two plates together. Um, how could we reduce the amount of pressure that goes onto those plates without affecting the way that they engage? Hmm. Um, we're using a 30 tooth driver uh, ratchet system in our in our system, mm -hmm. but it's increasing. It's given an increase of about 35 uh, percent torque strength without affecting the the drag on the system. So we've actually gone down to measuring how much load it takes to just click one click within the free hub system to see what that, that load takes. Mm -hmm. And we've been able to achieve about 31% of a standard uh, ratchet driver system. Mm -hmm. In Okay. So in reality now, you know, I'm, I'm one of those guys that, you know, yeah, I've, I've towed the line at races. Sure. Uh, at this stage in the game, you know, I'm, I, you know, I maybe, maybe got one or two, two, too many beers in my get my belly. And, you know, the common, the common, uh, complaint is, Oh, I could just, you know, lose a pound and, you know, gain the same amount of, uh, Watts or whatever. In, in reality, what does that gain the rider? I mean, you guys have now, you know, you've got your special lube that, you know, lowers the friction between the plates. In reality, what am I actually getting from that as a rider? I mean, is it is is there a measurable advantage there, or is it so minute that it really wouldn't matter for most riders unless they're riding in the world tour? <laughs> I mean, it, it comes down really to to basic numbers like um, wattage, um, and and you know when when we're talking about aerodynamics, we're we're down to the half watt yeah. to a watt, um, and anytime you take that amount of load and you extend it over, let's say, a three-hour ride, it's the amount of energy that you're having to put into the system that's maybe not coming out of the system. Mm -hmm. Or if you're, if let's say you're on a long stage at the Tour de France and you're pedaling for five hours, but you're, you're stopping pedaling every once in a while, mm -hmm. um, that drag is basically energy that you have to put back into the system to maybe go that extra half hour of riding. Mm -hmm. So... Um, I can't give you a quantitative number. I can just tell you that the amount of load that goes in is about 69% less mm -hmm. um, in in the rotation of that piece, which means you're having less drag on the overall system and there's less friction mm -hmm. basically slowing you down, which means once you start slowing down, you got to put that energy back into the system. Sure, sure. So we're talking really, uh, you know, and, and this, this makes a lot of sense. I mean, there are very minute uh, differences, but at the the top level of the sport, which is what Kdex is is essentially positioned for, is you know those sort of halo products for racers. Um, those those milliseconds, those those tiny bits of watts that can really make a difference, right? So we're not talking about 
necessarily the the Ford Escort that gets you to work. Yeah, it's got four wheels and it'll go. We're talking more like the the performance F1 car that's that's trying to get around that track with as much efficiency as possible. Um, and of course, you know, a lot of this comes down to the talent of the rider. But the gear at this point, because those riders are are on such a high level, you know, the gear does matter. Um, so maybe for me, you know, I you know I got a little bit of a, a dad gut going on. You know, maybe that's not as consequential <laughs> for me. But you know, if you are a racer and if you are trying to go fast and, and get the you know the podium then yeah these things matter so now we now we've talked about coasting friction and, and you know the for the ratchet system um if you've never seen one it's just like a little circle and it's got teeth on it and it rubs against another circle that's got teeth on it um, and that's essentially what engages your free hub when you start pedaling um now you you said that i'm sorry there was third how many points we have we have thirty teeth right now. Thirty teeth, and so yeah. what does that translate into points of contact? I mean, that's something that's sort of becoming part of the lexicon lately. Of you know, points of contact in the free hub body that basically translates into instant engagement. Um, does that matter? Uh, oh, it, it certainly matters. Um, it, it, I think it when you're looking at a road wheel, you notice it less. Like when you're riding a lot of rollies or kind of lumpy terrain where you're engaging and disengaging, I think that timing makes a big difference. If you're a sprinter, obviously that's going to make a massive difference because as soon as you put the load in, you want it to grab. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong because we're we're looking now at how we can take those the number of teeth higher. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, when you take the number of teeth higher, you do have more points of contact and, and there is potentially going to be some more friction there. Mm-hmm. But we think with our coatings and the materials that we're using, we should be able to reduce that. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, we send the benchmark at that 16 tooth because I, I don't know about you, but I don't know anybody who's literally stripped out a 16 tooth ratchet system. <laughs> Certainly but when you <laughs> get into those 36 and those 54 tooth ratchet systems, people mm-hmm. strip them out pretty regularly. Yeah, yeah. Um, in my mountain bike, I ride the 36 and I basically replace it once a year just to make sure it doesn't happen to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we can get to that 36 tooth ratchet system without, but still maintain the torque tolerances of a 16 tooth ratchet system, mm-hmm. it's a win-win because you're going to have quicker engagement at the same time, having the torque load strength that you need to make sure that the system is not going to go out on you. Mm-hmm. So here's a question about, you know, you mentioned coatings uh, and, and that what goes into essentially making sure that the, the friction gets lowered on between those plates. Is this is this like a lube or something that you're using this coating? And is it something that needs to be replenished from time to time as the you know, I assume it's like a viscosity thing and you have, it breaks down over time? Well, it's, it's, it, it's really comes down to the out, the material that you're using and what you're coating that material with. The lube is really just there to keep the friction lower and to not let heat build up. Mm-hmm. So we're not, we're not, um, the grease, the grease is the grease and the grease does work. Kdex hubs do come typically with less grease in them mm-hmm. because of the coating we're using on the, the ratchets. Anybody who's ridden one knows that there's a pretty loud tick to it. Mm-hmm they don't like it they can add more grease it just means that you have more you know friction in the system when you start adding that in there Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh so now the 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 ratchets they live inside your free hub body uh and the free hub body lives inside with the hub now in terms of power transmission does the shell construction of the hub actually matter at all it does so so we use what we call dynamic balance lacing Mm -hmm. Uh, common physics, when you put a load on the crank, 
you're putting tension in the chain. It's putting a load on your freehab body. And there is a certain amount of windup that's going to happen because you have two different types of spokes. You have a pulling spoke and a pushing spoke. If those spokes are on the exact same radius of the flange of the body, what's going to happen is you're going to have to turn and you're going to, you're basically, especially with a stainless steel spoke, you're going to stretch that pulling spoke a little bit and detension the pushing spoke a little bit until it finally tightens up enough to then pull the hoop of the rim around the wheel. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing is we're using different leverage angles on our flange. So when you put the load into the system, um, you immediately get a pull up. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're basically tensioning the pulling spoke quicker than you're you're detensioning the pushing spoke. Mm -hmm. So that keeps the system in balance. Um, the only way I can equate this is when I talk to, to racers, somebody like uh, uh, Trenton or Greg Van Avermaet, um, there is a, there's a, there's a, a jumpiness about the wheels that they love. That there's instant feedback. As soon as you step on the pedals, they notice the, that thrust forward on the, on the, the wheel. Mm -hmm. And so I think what's important to point out here too, is that every step of this, as we work our way outward, uh, from the center of the wheel, we're seeing an accrual of gains, right? So we're, you know, everything is tiny. It's until you have a lot of tiny things that add up to something that's significant. Yeah. Uh, so, so now we, I mean, we've only talked so far about the free hub and the, the hub shell and we're already getting gains. And, you know, again, it, for everyday Joe like me who, you know, I'm never going to set a record going up Flagstaff Mountain here in Boulder, but, uh, you know, it, it may not matter quite as much to me, but it, it's going to matter a lot to the Greg Van Evermats of the world who are, are competing against the other Greg Van Evermats of the world. Yeah. Um, so let's let's keep going then. So now you guys have, uh, you, you mentioned it briefly, the dynamic balance lacing of the spokes. Let's talk specifically about the spokes themselves. Um, you know, when I was building wheels, daily basically when i worked back in uh, az bikes in flagstaff arizona and we just had this i mean it was just like a backlog of people who wanted custom wheels and so we would pick out the spokes for them and we would pick out the rim and, and it was always you know the same spokes and the same rim and you know now there's so many different types of spokes and they all serve a different purpose talk a little bit about the spokes specifically that you are using and what the advantages are over something like your classic stainless steel spoke Yes, I mean, stainless steel spokes are great because they, they're strong, they're, they can be lightweight, they can be aerodynamic. But when we were building and, and going and building the concept of what we want to do with the KDX wheel, the spoke was one area that, like you said, there's, there's a lot of different spokes out there, but at the end of the day, they're, they're stainless steel. They're either aero or they're, they're uh, tapered or butted spokes. Mm -hmm. Um, but what we were seeing is there's going to be a certain amount of stress that you get out of that spoke. So with dynamic balance lacing, you do get a response, but you still have to stretch that spoke into place. The beauty of carbon, um, we're using a carbon spoke, but it's a carbon spoke that's unlike anything out there. In some systems in the market, if you have a carbon spoke in the system, if you break a spoke, you got to replace the wheel because it's an integral uh, incorporated kind of part of the entire system. Um, so we were looking at how can we get the benefits of what that carbon spoke would do, the stiffness, the strength, the lack of stretch uh, out of the system, but not run into some of the problems where, because ultimately you still have to join the spoke at the hub and you got to join the spoke at the rim. Mm -hmm. So you, 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 know, you need a nipple. Um, common way of doing it, as it was you made a carbon spoke or a tube, you bonded on aluminum 
uh, nipples on each end mm-hmm. to connect to the system. Um, we're not doing that. We're not bonding them on. If, if, if you look at a, at a KNX spoke, there are aluminum pieces on the end, but those pieces are mechanically joined to that spoke. They will not come off. They're, there's no way they can come off. There's actually a slight um, flare on the end of the spoke, and there's a slight flare, you know, kind of a, a, a shape on the inside. And the two pieces are actually pulled together um, between 350 and 400 kilogram load to lock them onto the end of the spoke. Mm-hmm. They're not bonded on. They're actually locked onto the end of the spoke. So when you look at a KDX wheel and you see a, a little alloy piece in there, it, it makes it look like you've got a nipple on the outside, but that's not. That's actually part of the spoke. Mm-hmm. That's the piece that you would hold to adjust and true the wheel because we don't want you grabbing the carbon mm-hmm. and risk damaging or you know putting a, a, a nick into the carbon that would compromise the overall integrity of the spoke. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of things that are really key about the spoke is it is a truncated airfoil shape. Um, it's not just a standard round shape. It is directional. So left, right, the, the spokes are actually set in a set direction to try to optimize and, and give you that benefit of the rotation of the wheel um, aerodynamically. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the, the biggest benefit is the KDX spoke, when I, when I would talk to my engineers, they would all tell me, oh, it's, it's, it's you know, two grams lighter than a stainless steel spoke. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, well, what does that mean? So when we started looking at it, if let's, I'll use, since everybody's moving to disc brakes, a disc brake wheel has about 45 spokes in it, in a KDX wheel. 45 spokes, two grams, you're talking about nine, roughly 90 grams. Yeah. Put that into perspective, you're losing 46% of the weight of the rotational weight of the spoke in the system. So it's not just 90 grams of dead weight. It's 90 grams of weight that you're, that you're actually putting energy into the system to rotate the wheel. You've got to move that weight, at least to start up or on a long climb to take you up the hill. Yeah. So, you know, a couple of benefits. The carbon spoke, you can run higher tension. You actually have to run higher tension because of the properties of the carbon. Uh, it's significantly stiffer but it doesn't offer a rougher ride. It gives you a more compliant ride, takes up more of the vibration from the road. Um, When you put it into the DBL system, it actually enhances what we do with our dynamic balance lacing. And at the same time, you still get better lateral stiffness to give you better control and better tracking as you're you're descending and kind of pushing into a hard corner. Sure. Um, We're going to take a break for a moment, but when we come back, I want to ask you to, we've heard the term truncated airfoil quite a lot. Um, I just want to touch on that briefly, uh, what that means, because we, we hear everything right now is arrow, arrow, arrow. Uh, but you guys have taken a little bit of a different approach. I think there's other things to consider and we're going to talk a little bit about those factors as well. So let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right, Jeff, we are back. Uh, you mentioned the construction of the spoke is unique in that it is, well, there's a lot of things unique about it, but one of the things is that it's a truncated airfoil shape. Um, we've talked a lot about this on the podcast in the past, but you know, it's always worth a refresher. Tell us what a truncated airfoil is and how it affects uh, what the properties of the wheel and the handling of the wheel. So 
you know, obviously the concept is you need air to flow over the product, but you want it to trail off on the back end. What we've found is if you have a true, just kind of an oval shape, or if you have a, a narrow leading edge and it goes into a narrow trailing edge is that you can start to get some turbulence around the, the trail of that, of that shape. So we tested about eight different shapes in the spoke, um, primarily through CFD, not in a wind tunnel, because it's kind of hard to, you know, stick a spoke in a wind tunnel and actually <laughs> test the airflow around it. Yeah. Um, but um, through CFD, which is a great tool because it gives you a good direction of where you're going without having to book the time to, to do the testing. Sure. Uh, so what it does is, is as, as the, the air flows over the truncated shape, as it trails off the back, you actually – have a, a the back end of the spoke will have, or it can be a tube in a bike, will have a flatter section. What that does allows the two airs to pull around and then trail off a little bit more smoothly. Mm-hmm. You just end up with less dirt. And it's very good because you can control how the flow of air at different yaw angles uh, from that. So if it's not coming directly at the front of the spoke and then trailing off the back, if it's coming from the side, it still allows the air to catch each other as it split around and then come back together. Mm-hmm. Now, to to be clear, like the uh, the truncated airfoil shape, uh, it's not just the spokes that feature that, correct? It's the rims as well. Yeah, the rims are basically a truncated airfoil. They're a little bit different because obviously you have to have the tire as your leading edge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but we've seen, you know, a common shape of a rim. It used to be a V'd out. We used to call those arrow rims. It's very V'd out and has a narrow end. Yeah. The, as as the width of the, the rim gets wider on the insert internal or external width, mm-hmm. obviously how the shape of the, of the actual rim and the roundness or the V-shape of the rim makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't realize this. You can't just make the rim wider and then it's, it's better. Yeah. You have to then look at all the other parts of the rim because a wider rim might need to be shallower in height. Yeah, because yeah. if it's taller, you actually get less aerodynamics. Yeah, could you solve that? I'm curious with something like a, a boundary trip layer, where the you know the the rim maybe has some sort of feature that you know separates the the airflow from from the the surface of the rim. I mean, would that affect it positively? Or I mean, because wheels face so many different winds at different yaw angles, would that just be a moot point? Uh, I, I think what we've seen is there's so many other factors that are going to improve versus just a. I, I assume you're talking about a surface treatment to the to the rim or yeah yeah or something just to to trip the the airflow off the the rim before it hits the back end of the the rim. Yeah, I mean, I mean, really, when you look at aerodynamics, the the main flow how you front wheel is probably the most important because that's the one that's cutting into the wind, mm-hmm. um, but. Um, you know, what we've seen is, is how you can manage the air really as it first impacts the wheel and then how it trails off the sides. Because once you start getting into the fork and into the rest of the bike, mm-hmm. um, you do run into quite a bit of dirty air. Yeah. We do all our testing in a wind tunnel with an actual moving dummy that's pedaling and everything. It's not just a wheel sitting in a wind tunnel or a wheel on a bike sitting in a wind tunnel. Mm-hmm. So taking in all the factors of the position of the rider, the pedaling of the rider, all the parts moving, the drivetrain and everything moving and how they affect the overall drag on the system. Mm-hmm. 
Um, another term you thrown around, dirty air. I, I, you know, there's plenty of fart jokes to be made there. But what exactly is uh, is dirty <laughs> air when in this context? Well, dirty air is where. So, I mean, to make to make a plane as if you have a vertical piece like a, a wing of a plane, mm-hmm. as the air splits around that plane or around that that structure, mm-hmm. when it comes back together on the backside, a dirty air would be the air that's not just picking up and flowing off and disappearing. It's the air that's actually lingering and creates kind of turbulence around the system mm-hmm. that creates drag. It's kind of think of a parachute or something on the backside, but in a, in a, in a design way. Mm-hmm. Um, so and that dirty air is happening throughout the entire system. Um, you know, it's aerodynamics is important. But the most important is the rider's position. Mm-hmm. If, if you have a rider that can't hold a proper position, uh, or if you're like you or I who have the dad gut, right. <laughs> uh, and we, we maybe don't have the flexibility we used to have, yeah, right. it doesn't really make that much of a difference. Sure. Um, so that's why I think when we look at, at, at wheels, I think, you know, similar like you or I, we're going to get that benefit of the the transmission stiffness the lighter rotational way because you know going up flagstaff mountain or or some other you know long climb it can make a big difference for you or i because we don't have that trained energy in our legs and we don't maybe have the body weight that's going to get us up there and it is something that you can notice Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um this is totally off topic but i gotta ask you so you know our listeners can't see it but uh, right behind you and um, we're on a we're on a skype call right now and right behind you you got a you got a beautiful photo i gotta ask is that the gavia that is that is the upper switchbacks of Gavia Pass. Oh man, I I thought I reckoned, my legs started aching when I started looking at that photo. I was like, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, that's the section that when you come out of the tunnel, yeah, yeah, you look up and go, oh crap, I got that much more to yeah, go. Right. I am not almost there at all. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just had to ask because it's a beautiful photo. I just had, to <laughs> yeah, and it, and it brought me back. Um, Anyway, getting back on topic. <laughs> um, so, okay, so we've talked about the hub and the free hub, and we've talked about spokes. Let's get to the rim. Uh, and, you know, I think our audience at this point knows quite a bit about the general concept of the aerodynamics of a rim and, and yaw angles and things like that. Um, Kdex uh, obviously has those shapes and, you know, is is using the best data available for the, the right aerodynamic shape. But let's talk about the rim and the tire as a system uh, and any other components within that uh, mating, as it were, uh, yeah. that that you guys have discovered, um, you know, makes your wheel any different or better than anything out there. What's what's what is Kdex doing that's going to, you know, make you any faster than, say, an Envy wheel or uh, whatever? Yeah, so so to take it one step farther, I mean, I was talking about the spoke and the 46% reduction of weight there. We also went into looking at how we can make the rim lighter, but at the same time make it stronger and stiffer. So obviously that's all done through real optimized and engineered layout processes where we're putting the material, where we're not putting the material. But one of the big key steps that we went to is we did go hookless. Why did we go hookless? There's there's a couple of key factors there. If you think of carbon, carbon is a fiber, right? Until you suspend it in the resin material, it's just a piece of string. Mm-hmm. It's a it's it's floppy and it's flimsy. When you are making a hooked rim, um, that hook can't just be molded in because you have to be able to extract and pull the piece out. So typically, what you're going to do is you're going to wrap carbon around a, a shape mm-hmm. that's going to allow you to create that shape for the hook, and then eventually you have to machine the carbon away 
so that you can extract that piece of plastic or foam or whatever you're, whatever the company is using to, to create that shape. Mm-hmm. In doing so, the the con, you don't get the continuous flow of the carbon fiber. The beauty of hookless is you don't need to go through that process. You can mold that shape into the rim. Mm-hmm. Um, so what that does is it gives you continuous flow of the carbon, meaning you can use less because anytime you have to cut the material, you have to add more material to compensate for the loss of strength that you're going to have, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's one of the key factors. But another beautiful thing is tubeless is coming for road. I mean, I think finally the road market is starting to see tubeless. I mean, anybody who's been riding a mountain bike has been riding tubeless for 25 years. Yeah. Um, you know, to give you a point for me – I'm so bold that I don't even ride with inner tubes anymore. I mean, I'm lucky if I go out with a couple of CO2 cartridges because it's just flats, knock on wood, or just have become non-existent. But when you look at how we've handled tubeless, we've handled it very similar to how we handled tube tires. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no different. We just kind of came up with a new shape for the bead and put a butyl lining in the tire and said, okay, now you can run it without and Mm -hmm. put some tape on the rim. Um, so with hookless, with, with the hookless system that we're running, the key component here is it's not unlike a car or a motorcycle. We're using the seat of the rim, not the beat of the rim, to really hold the tire in place. Mm-hmm. So when you do, like if I talk to the pro riders, the number one question they ask is, you know, or the, the concern that they have is, if I get a flat with tubeless, the tire is going to come off the rim. Because they've all seen, you know, there's a certain amount, especially with the higher air pressures, yeah. you're you're seeing stretch in the bead and it does loosen up. And everybody knows that a, t- a tubeless tire is easier to put on than it is to take off eventually yeah. um, because of that stretch. So we're actually, we're, we're maintaining the tolerance of the diameter of the rim and the diameter of the, the tire itself, the tire bead itself. That's why for us, the complete system does include a tire. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean that we're not working with other tire manufacturers. We are working with people like Continental and Vittoria, mm-hmm. Schwalbe, Maxis, IRC, and, and various others to make sure that their system will work with our system. Mm-hmm. Um, and we explain why, and we have co-testing, and it's been pretty good so far. Mm-hmm. Um, but the benefit that you get is is that's locked on. So if you do get a flat, taking off a Kdex tire is a little bit harder. It does take a bit of effort to pop it off that seat of the rim. Mm-hmm. And that's because we do maintain those tolerances. Why do we do that? I talked about, you know, the goal is to get the rider going faster, more efficiently. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we've all ridden down, uh, you know, we, we all ride. We all ride on rough roads. Um, and it's, it's a pretty easy visual for, for your listeners. And when you're riding down a nice, smooth, brand new paved road and you hit a rough section of road, you start to slow down and it takes a little bit more effort to keep going, Mm -hmm. get some gravel. It gets even worse. Mm -hmm. It takes Mm -hmm. more effort to go forward. Why is that simple physics? When you're, when you're moving forward, your momentum's going forward. But as soon as you start introducing vertical elements, they can be very small. You get that vibration that starts to slow you down. That vibration is diverting your forward momentum. So what can we do to, to, to limit how much you go? We, we call it vibration acceleration. Mm-hmm. Our goal is to improve your, your, your forward motion through the vibration. Uh, that's, that can be done through a couple of different factors. Obviously, air pressure helps because it helps you kind of go through those, those bumps. Yeah. But at the same time, the suppleness of the casing is critical. 
And a, a simple casing in the sense of vibration reduction doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have better rolling resistance. Mm -hmm. It just means that when you hit that rougher stuff, you're going to roll through it much more efficiently, mm -hmm. which does reduce, reduce your overall resistance in the system. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot to di digest there. Um, you know, I, I grew up a mountain biker, as, and it sounds like you've done quite a bit of it yourself. And, you know, yeah, I've been on tubeless tires on the mountain bike side for years and years and years, but it's only within the last couple of years that I've, I've uh, gone to tubeless uh, on the road. And my experience of tubeless on the road is that it has improved vastly in just the last couple of years um, to the point now where, you know, I test a lot of bikes and uh, my personal bike and a lot of the bikes I'm testing are tubeless. I haven't had a flat on a tubeless system in, I can't even remember how long. Uh, I rode a couple tubed bikes recently and got flats on all of them. <laughs> yeah. So there's there's definite benefits there. But I do recall uh, the first time I rode a hookless rim on a road bike. And again, hookless has been around on the mountain bike side for a while now. Uh, it is new to the roadside. And I remember looking at that hookless rim on the road and saying, ha, no way am I riding that. Um, but now I ride them all the time. And, you know, it is a little bit scary to look at that rim and see no hook there. Um, and so I kind of wanted to just step back to that. And you mentioned that instead of grabbing by the hook of the, or excuse me, by the bead of the tire, um, the hookless rim secures the tire in place differently. And I wanted you to just kind of back up on that one and stress that because I think that's a big fear of people is that with road tires at higher pressures, which by the way, tire pressures have come down recently, don't forget, but yeah. still higher pressure than mountain bike tires. I think one of the fears is that with hookless rims, I'm going to pump it up so high that the tire is just going to burst off. So can you kind of take a step back and just um, reiterate what is keeping the tire in place on a hookless rim? Yeah. So so if you look at the ETRTO measurement of a rim, it's of a 700C wheel. It's 622, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. We're doing the, – the standard calls for 622 plus or minus 0.5. Mm-hmm. We – the KDX tolerance is 622 plus or minus 0.3. Oh, wow. Okay. So we've tightened it up ourselves. Mm -hmm. When we do our tests, though, we do our tests based on the smaller of the spec, mm -hmm. um, and that's to test tire compatibility. Mm -hmm. um, the bigger difference is with when you have a hook-type rim and you've got a tube in there, even with some of the tubeless, um, you've got the pressure holding the bead onto the hook mm -hmm. and keeping it kind of in place. Um, but so the common material for a folding wheel or a folding tire is going to be Kevlar. Mm -hmm. Problem with Kevlar is Kevlar will stretch, mm -hmm. especially under high loads. I mean, you take, you know, some of the tire brands out there, they're still putting 130 PSI max air pressure, right. which if anybody's riding 130 PSI today, that's crazy. Right, right. Um, but you know, under those loads over time, that will start to stretch out mm -hmm. and loosen up. Mm -hmm. Um, we actually use Kevlar with carbon in our bead. Mm -hmm. um, now, the drawback to using carbon is if you're using tire levers and you're too quick and abrupt, you can actually snap that bead. Mm -hmm. But if you look at KDX, anybody, I mean, it's really hard, but you mentioned that we, we met in Belgium last year, a year ago when we launched KDX. I think I mounted 30 tires to, to wheels mm -hmm. for that event. Um, I did them all by hand with a floor pump mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, because we have a deep channel in the middle that you draw, you put the tire on, you mount it into the center part. And then really all it takes is that first load of pressure to go in and it pops it up onto the seat of the rim. Mm -hmm. Maybe it pops it up halfway, but enough to seal it. And then sure. as you pumping, it locks it in and you hear everybody's used to that positive snap. Mm -hmm. Boy, with the hookless system done properly when all the tolerances are maintained, 
that snap is a very loud snap. Yeah. <laughs> you lock it into place. Once it's on, you know, you deflate, and, and, and I think you have a pair of the wheels. Let the air out. Try to pull the tire off, and you'll see how, how much effort it takes to pop it off the seat right. of the rim. Right. And that's really due to those maintaining those. Another thing is we do a test of 1.5 uh, the max air pressure. Mm-hmm. So any tire that we test, we put it on, we pump it up to 1.5 times. So to give you a case in point, if it's a Vittoria Corsa, that's 130 PSI. It's 195 PSI we're putting into that tire. It has to sit for 24 hours mm-hmm. and not blow off the rim. Um, and um, we've had tires that blow off the rim, mm-hmm. and it's a very loud, scary <laughs> sound yeah, yeah. when it does happen. Yeah. The good news is you mentioned tire pressures are coming down. Even the tire manufacturers are realizing we don't need that kind of air pressure in our tires anymore. We can bring them down. Mm-hmm. Case in point for me on a 28C tire, I'm – I've taken it as low as 50 PSI mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and ridden on the road. And yeah, sure, it's a little bit too low. Yeah, I've probably yeah. brought it up a little bit. Yeah. But, but you don't need to run that kind of air pressure. Right. It's not it's not faster. I mean, it's in that's that's the the uphill battle I think right now that a lot of uh, wheel and tire manufacturers are battling is that the the common knowledge has always been, you know, pump those tires up to 130 PSI because that lowers rolling resistance and that's just not the case. Um, so yeah, I mean, you're, you're, it's, it's mentally, it's difficult to make that leap, you know, or like, Oh man, I'm, I'm running 75 PSA on my road. This feels weird, but quite frankly, that's, that's where you should be. I mean, well, depending on your weight and all that, but like you don't need to be up over a hundred PSI anymore. It's just not, it's not fast. Um, so you know, that, that really has brought with it a lot of other advantages, uh, that I think you've just spoken to pretty eloquently. Um, I'm curious, Jeff, do, do you guys at KDEX consider sealant as part of the wheel system? And if so, do you guys have your own or do you recommend any particular sealant? I, you know, everybody has their own preferences. Um, we, we don't make a KDEX sealant. Um, we do have a sealant on the giant brand side of the, of the company. Um, it is, it is a, it's, it's very similar to stands. Mm-hmm. It's an ammonia latex based system. Um, it really, some sealants, some sealants coagulate and, and kind of clog up quicker. Some don't. I mean, I've, I've certainly tried them all and I've had some that just, you know, you get one small puncture and it takes, seems like it takes forever and maybe one or two CO2s to, mm-hmm. to pump it back up and get it to finally seal. It really is up to the rider that we want to use. I, I personally ride a stance type mm-hmm. uh, sealant because I think it, it's just quicker. Mm-hmm. It works well, um, but you know our tires, you can pump them up, you can ride them. You don't need sealant. The only reason you need the sealant is really so that you uh, can seal up in the case that you do get a puncture. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so. Just to, to clarify, uh, and, and that was going to be my next question, was do you need sealant to, to seat the tire? Um, and, and you're saying, no, you don't. Uh, would you, but is it recommended? Or, like, I mean, can I just pump up my tires and go? I mean, if I'm not worried about uh, punctures and I just want to save a few grams, I could just go out and ride with no sealant? You could, but if you get a puncture, you're going to get a flat, and, right. and you got to put a tube in there yeah. to get home. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, it, it's funny. Um, just to give you an idea of of how one the system rides, but two how beneficial tubeless can be. Mm-hmm. Um, when we when we got the final production stuff to the CCC team, mm-hmm. uh, went to Denny of Spain to the team camp, 
Um, we had the, the wheels all set up for the riders. They didn't know what they were riding. They just knew they had these new final versions of the wheels they'd been testing and had new tires that they they were that they'd been testing, but they didn't know that they were tubeless. Yeah. If you've been to Dania, the roads are awful. Mm. I mean, there's there's some nice roads here and there, but for the most part, they're pretty undeveloped roads and they're pretty beat up. Mm-hmm. The team has been going there forever for team camps. And while we were there, there was a few guys that made comments. Why are we training on tubular on tubulars? Yeah. And I said, you're not, but we'll talk about that at the end of the <laughs> camp. When we're going to go through all the equipment yeah. and I'll answer all your questions. Sure. After two weeks, um, it was funny. Not one flat, hmm. not one flat on the team. Wow. And all the riders were like, it's crazy. I can't remember the last time we were here that we didn't get a flat. Mm-hmm. I said, well, you probably got a flat guys. Yeah. And they go, no, we didn't get any flats. I, so I had that, that day I'd asked the mechanic, one of the mechanics as I saw by that clearly a guy got a puncture. Yeah. Yeah. He had the spray on his C tube and everything. Yeah. And I said, don't wash that bike. I want to use that for my presentation today. And I showed the guys, I said, guys, you got a puncture, you got a flat. You just didn't get a flat. Right. And I showed them the latex on the C tube mm-hmm. and how it had sprayed. And I said, you, you got this flat but you kept riding. That's the benefit of tubeless. And that's what it brings to the table. Right. If you've got a latex line tubular, you get a flat, you got to put your hand up and, and wait for the car to come and swap your wheel out mm-hmm. with this. You can keep going. Right. right. Um, you know, and we have guys have that have fully embraced tubeless. Michael Shar, mm-hmm. um, big guy. He's yeah. probably six, four. I don't know how much he weighs, but he's, he definitely weighs more than me. Probably he <laughs> rides 75, 80 PSI yeah. and he's racing on, on tubeless. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So now moving just, we don't have much time left here, but, um, one last part of the equation here is the tire, uh, which we, obviously we've talked about the beat of the tire, uh, and Kadex is making its own tires. Uh, what, what can you tell me about, uh, tire construction that, you know, again, matters to the wheel system. I mean, is it all aerodynamics at this point? Is it grip? Is it what? What is it? And I and I'm assuming you guys have your own proprietary uh, rubber compound. You know, I've talked to so many tire manufacturers, nobody's willing to tell me what's in their, <laughs> in their rubber well, compounds. Yeah, I mean, one thing obviously, our main goal is performance. Mm-hmm. Um, we're using a true 170 TPI single layer casing. Mm-hmm. So it's not a 300 or a 240 where we're stacking a diff- bunch of different layers because mm-hmm. it defeats the purpose of the suppleness of the casing. Sure. Um, but we are using a single silica based compound rubber. Okay. The reason we do that is because as everybody knows, you got a pretty small spot on the tire on a road tire. That's going to give you a grip. Mm-hmm. And when you start changing the, the compounds as you roll over in most cases is too you, your transition is too quick mm-hmm. to take that up the drawback is the tire will wear out a little bit quicker mm-hmm. but the grip and the rolling and the and the feel that you get out of the tire made a massive difference in that so we do have a small thin kevlar layer under the tread mm-hmm. to to eliminate cutting and to protect the tire mm-hmm. so even though it's a performance level we do have cut protection in the tire and puncture protection um but it's 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 a very lightweight thin kevlar strip we call it race shield mm-hmm. um but our casing is a is a super supple 170 tpi single layer casing mm-hmm. um that gives you just great suppleness on the on the feel of the tire, especially when you do start getting into some of those lower air pressures. Mm-hmm. So we got about a minute left here, and 
just is there anything about wheel systems that we haven't mentioned that's vital for people to understand when they're considering whether it's Kdex or another brand what what wheels they end up with uh, is there something about wheel systems specifically that they should know about well I think the the, the biggest advantage is when you look at a wheel system uh, at least in the case of Kdex what we do with the rim directly translates to how the spoke interacts with that rim and then you go all the way down to the hub and how the spoke interacts with the hub so the 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 bigger concept is is if you're creating a wheel system it's not just throwing a bunch of parts together and and building a wheel you can make a great wheel doing that but it's it's how you can take each component and make it work as a complete system more efficiently and better Um, you know, I talked about weight, weight is great. It's easy to make a lightweight wheel, but it's really hard to make a lightweight wheel that has the lateral stiffness, the transmission stiffness and all those things that make you a better rider. Mm -hmm. Jeff, thanks for uh, joining me today. I appreciate it. And it, uh, it, it clarifies a lot, uh, in terms of what, what we should look for when we're purchasing our wheels and how things have changed so drastically over the years, all to the benefit of the rider. Um, so thank you uh, for clarifying a lot of those concepts. Appreciate it. No, I appreciate having on. Yeah. And for all of you guys listening, if you have questions about this episode of the Velo News Tech Podcast or any of the other podcasts in the Velo News atmosphere, please do feel free to email me, dcavallari at velonews.com. You can also reach out to me at Brown Tide Dan on uh, social media, uh, specifically the Twitters and the Instagrams. And of course, if you have suggestions for topics you'd like me to cover on a future episode of the Velo News Tech Podcast, I would absolutely love to hear it. So please do reach out. Jeff, thank you again. And to all you listening, thank you for listening to me today. We will catch you next time.